Amen. Amen. Thank you. You guys can have a seat. I want to thank uh, Ronnie here for filling in for Caleb, who uh, wasn't able to be here today. So thanks, Ronnie. I was super appreciate it. And uh, if you're new today, I forgot to mention, um, next to you or in front of you or somewhere on your seats near you, there's a connection card. If you take that connection card, fill that out, take it back to the connection center at the end of service, uh, we've got a nice gift for you uh, to thank you for coming and visiting with us this morning. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, we have been in a series uh, that we've called Words from the Cross. We've been focusing on some of the very last words of Jesus Christ from the cross as he was being crucified. And so I want to thank Jim for filling in last week. Uh, I had to go out to Chicago for a few things, and Jim did a great job. So thank you, Jim. Uh, While you're here this morning also, if you could turn your Bibles to John chapter 19. If you don't have your Bibles with you this morning, you can always follow along on the screen, or if you want to pull out your cell phone, whether Bible's electronic, whatever that is, uh, just go ahead and pull that out this morning. But uh, as as you're doing that, I think it'd be safe to say that Jesus uh, was a man on a mission, right? When we look at the life of Christ, we, we know that Jesus was a man on a mission. If anyone came to earth with a purpose, it was Jesus. And Jesus knew exactly what his purpose was, right? As a matter of fact, there's a story in Luke chapter 2 where Joseph and Mary, they come to Jerusalem for the peace of the Passover, and they make this pilgrimage from from where we believe would be Nazareth, which would have been about a a one-day's journey. And when it was over, Joseph and Mary, their family, they all traveled back, they were traveling back to where they were coming from, and on their way back, they realized that Jesus was not with them. Right? I mean, just kind of picture, if you've ever seen the movie Home Alone, right? You've got Jesus was not with them. He's not in the caravan. And so what Joseph and Mary do is they travel all the way back to Jerusalem. And the Bible tells us that for three days, they could not find Jesus. Now, keep in mind, Jesus at this point in time is only 12 years old. Parents, I mean, imagine, I've got a 13-year-old. I couldn't imagine, like, going to downtown Pittsburgh looking for my daughter for three days. It would be terrifying, right? I mean, Jerusalem was a, was a big city. There are people everywhere. You could not find your 12-year-old. And then all of a sudden, Joseph and Mary, they walk into the temple, and there he is, right? He's listening to the teacher's teaching, and Mary and Joseph are distressed, as would any parent be, if you can imagine that, right? It's one of those moments where, parents, you love your child so much, you got to scream at them right then, right? So I can only picture Mary and Joseph, and Mary walks over to Jesus, and she says, son, why have you done this to us? I mean, we've been searching frantically all over for you, and Jesus looks at her, and he goes, Why? And he says these words to her, didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? At the age of 12, the Bible tells us that Jesus had complete clarity on his life. Now, I know a lot of people struggle with the issue of clarity of purpose, right? There are a lot of people who struggle with the issue of, you know, what is it that I'm here to do? What is my mission in life? Why did God create me? What's my purpose And wouldn't it be great for all of us to be able to say, you know what, I know why God put me here on this earth. I know my purpose in life. God gave me a mission and I'm living it out. I mean, wouldn't it be even even more amazing to come to the end of your life and to be able to say, I believe that I have accomplished everything that God created me to do on this earth. Right, I I knew my God-given purpose and through God's power and through God's strength and through the very best of my abilities, I have completed the work that God gave me to do. Well, on the cross at the age of 33 and a half, 
Jesus was able to say with complete assurance, with complete confidence, with full truthfulness from the cross, Jesus was able to say, my work on earth is finished. Jesus was able to say, it is finished. Right? God sent his son on a mission. He sent Jesus with a very clear purpose and Jesus completed it. He completed it perfectly. Now I want you to listen to how the apostle John describes this moment. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to, again, John chapter 19, we're going to pick it up in verse 28 and go through verse 30. John says this, after this, knowing that everything had been accomplished and to fulfill the scripture, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge with wine, put it on a stalk of hyssop and lifted it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished and bowing his head he yielded up his spirit now the words it is finished are just amazing words right because everything that we need to bring us hope everything that we need to bring us strength everything that we need to bring us confidence to bring us assurance in this lifetime is packed into those three words however we also need to realize in reality those three words they're really just one word. The ancient Greeks kind of had this knack for being able to say a lot with very little. And so when Jesus said these words, it is finished, he cried out in a loud voice, one word in the Greek, tetaleste. C.H. Spurgeon says this one Greek word would need all the other words that were ever spoken or can be spoken to explain it. It is altogether immeasurable. It is too high, he says, that I cannot attain it. It is too deep that I cannot fathom it. See, the word tetaleste means to be completed. It means to be accomplished. In other words, Jesus had finished the work that his father had sent him to accomplish. Jesus died with no regrets. Jesus didn't have this kind of deathbed experience where he, he looked back at his life and he looked back at his family and said, boy, man, you know what? If I could have just done a little bit more of this, Or if I could have just done this a little bit better, maybe if I just said these words, or maybe if I would not have done that. See, when Jesus said it is finished, the job was done, and it was done perfectly. Erwin Lutzer says in Shouting Tedeleste, Jesus gave the most triumphant cry in all of human history. He affirmed that he had successfully completed a great and mighty work. It says his his life on this earth closed not as a failure, but as the culmination of an eternal plan. The script had been written before Bethlehem, and now the curtain was about to close with everything in its place. And so the big question for all of us is this this morning is, is this question. What was finished? Right? What exactly happened at this moment? What was accomplished? Well, in a very practical sense, the suffering was over, right? The false accusations, the death threats, the, the ridicule from the religious world, that was all finished. As we mentioned a few weeks ago, his disciples, his disciples had professed loyalty to him and then turned their back on him when, they, when, when he needed the most. Judas betrayed him, sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. Peter denied knowing him. The rest of the disciples run out of the the Garden of Gethsemane after Jesus was arrested, so they had just abandoned him. That was all finished. The beatings, the scourgings, 
The crown of thorns, the humiliation of of having to carry a cross through a busy city as people are mocking and insulting him. The spikes being driven through his wrists and his feet. The crucifixion. That was all finished. The actual separation from God's presence. Six hours of, of hanging on a cross, desperately just trying to breathe. That was finished. The suffering was over. And then the ultimate sacrifice was made. In the Old Testament, priests would make sacrifices for sin. They believed, and so did the Jewish people, that regardless of of how many animals were killed, how much blood was shed, how much was sprinkled over the altar, how many prayers were prayed, that their work was never completely finished. As a matter of fact, when a, a priest was on duty in the temple, Right, it was the Levitical priest's job to serve in the temple was a symbol that their fact was a symbol of, of to the fact that their work was never done. That priest never sat down. They could make sacrifices all day long, but they knew that something was not quite right. It was never quite right because the sacrifice that they were making was never enough. Right, sin was being covered, but it was never being completely taken away. In the Old Testament, priests made sacrifices for sin. But see, when Jesus went to the cross, Jesus became both the priest and the sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 26 says, But now, once for all time, he has appeared, being Jesus at the end of the age, to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. See, in ancient times, when something was purchased in full, and there was no outstanding debt left, The word tetaleste, or paid in full, was written on the bill. And on the cross, we need to understand, the entire debt of sin was paid. Nothing more had to be done. Justice was served. right? Because whereas we should be hanging on that cross, paying for our sins, a substitute hung there on our behalf. Sin was paid in full. All of my sins were placed on Jesus on that cross. All of your sins were placed on Jesus on that cross. God's justice demand of sacrifice for sin. We need to understand that Jesus was that sacrifice. Now, I don't know about you, but I still struggle with sin. Right? There are moments where my flesh, listen, it just plays havoc with me. I can be selfish, I can be, I can be prideful, I can, I can be a jerk at times, but you know what? Thankfully, my acceptance in God's eyes is not based on me, and it's not based on my performance. It's based solely on what Jesus Christ did on my behalf. When Jesus Christ went to the cross for three hours, God the Father, we talked about this a few weeks ago, abandoned the Son. Right? He who had no sin, he who was perfect, went to the cross. He became our sin so that we could be clothed in righteousness. So that when God sees us, listen, he doesn't see our righteousness. He sees the righteousness of Jesus on us. He looks at us and he sees that. He looks at us and he sees what Jesus accomplished on the cross. That's what God has done for us. Every year, the Jewish people observe a special day called Yom Kippur. It's called the Day of Atonement. This year it's going to be on October uh, 8th. And it's the most holy of days. It's the day that the Jewish people set aside for repentance and and prayer and fasting. It's the day uh, of the year when they kind of try to get things right with God. Now in ancient times, back uh, the, the priest would actually, during this whole day of atonement, would take his hands 
on a goat, and he'd lay his hands on this goat, and what he would do is he would confess the sins of the nation of Israel onto that goat. And so that priest, what he would do is he would legally transfer the sins of the people onto that goat, and then they would take that goat, they'd lead that goat out into the wilderness, they'd let that goat loose, never to see that goat again. See, when Jesus went to the cross, your sins were legally transferred onto him. When the sacrifice was made, Jesus announced that it was finished, that atonement for sin was made. You were given a pardon. You were given an opportunity for a fresh start. And because of Jesus, look, the writer of Hebrews says God has made it a pronouncement. He's made a pronouncement upon his people, upon his children, upon those who know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And this is what God has said. He says, I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. Those words have been pronounced over you by God the Father, the creator of the universe. For those of you who know, Christ is your personal savior. So the sacrifice was made. Also, we know that Satan was defeated. Right? When Jesus said, it is finished, Satan was defeated. Now I want you to imagine, if we could, for just a moment, just kind of like a, imagine a cosmic view of what was going on all around the cross at that moment. Let me tell you who was there, right? We know that Satan was there. God was there. Jesus was there. Jesus' family and and some of his relatives were there. But I was there, and so were you. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 15 says this, When you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your sinful heart, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our trespasses, having canceled the debt ascribed to us in the decrees that stood against us. I love this part. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. See, Paul says that at the cross you were spiritually dead in our sins, right? Romans 6.23 tells us that the price of sin is what? Death. See, we had a debt that we could not pay, but Jesus took that debt upon himself and he canceled the debt by nailing it to the cross. Every secret sin, every public sin that has ever happened was nailed to the cross. And so when Jesus said, Tetaleste paid in full, listen, the penalty credited to us was canceled, Nothing more had to be done at that moment. However, the Bible tells us that Satan is a liar, right? That he's a deceiver, that he's an accuser. And he continues to lie to you that there's no possible way, regardless of what his word says, there's no possible way that you could ever receive God's forgiveness. There is no way because what Jesus did on the cross was not truly enough. More has to be done. God really can't be trusted. He's left you and he's abandoned you. Revelation 12.10 uh, 12, also tells us that Satan stands as our accuser. And so not only is he, our liar, or is he a liar and a deceiver, but he's also an accuser. Not only does he try to constantly remind you of your sins and tell you that, that what God has done could never be enough, he also accuses you of your sin before God. And so Satan's like this prosecutor, right, that walks into a courtroom and he stands before the judge 
armed with just pile after pile after pile of, of evidence. And he brings charge after charge after charge against us. But I want you to see what Colossians chapter 2 says about what Jesus did for us. It says in verse 15 that Jesus disarmed the rulers, disarmed the authorities, and made a public spectacle of them. Paul says that on the cross, when Jesus says it is finished, listen, Satan was disarmed, thrown out of court. He's been disbarred. See, God has turned Satan and his army of followers into a laughingstock. When Jesus says, it is finished, God made a public spectacle of Satan in front of the whole world. It happened at that very moment. But I want to tell you something. Satan didn't walk out of the courtroom and give up. Right, The fight still rages on. Even if you are a child of God, look, Satan cannot claim you any longer as one of his own, but here's what he's going to try and do. He wants to destroy you with guilt. He wants to overwhelm you with so much fear that you walk through this life feeling just powerless and helpless. And some of you this morning, you feel that way right now. You look back at your past and you go, there is no way that that could ever be enough to cover what I've done. There's no way that that, that what I'm doing right now at this moment could ever be forgiven. And so what we do is we walk through this life powerless and helpless, feeling that somehow or another we've got to earn something that we could never earn on our very best day. Listen, we still fight against Satan, but you need to understand something this morning. The fight is fixed, right? The outcome has already been determined, and guess what? We win. When Jesus says it is finished, the fight was over. Satan has been defeated. Also, salvation and heaven were secured for sinners. I know that a lot of people struggle with the issue of eternal security. We know that once we put our our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ to be our personal Savior, that our, our past sins have been forgiven. Colossians 2.13 tells us that he has forgiven us of our sins. But you say, what about, the, what about the present and future sins? What about those sins? What about the sins that you're going to commit this week? What about the sins that you're going to commit over the next coming years? How many of those sins are forgiven? And I will tell you this morning, all of them. See, if that were not true, we could never be secure in our salvation we could never be sure of heaven. We, could, we would always be wondering, are we in or are we out? We would never know. So what do you do with those, those present and future sins? Here's what you do. We confess them. Right? We don't confess them to maintain our eternal security. We confess them to maintain our fellowship with God. We've talked about the issue of repentance here before, which means to change your mind, right? Repentance is, is a change of mind that is so powerful that it causes you to, to turn from your sin and, and turn to God. And at that moment of repentance, what happens? Let me, let me tell you what happens. Is that intimacy is restored. Fellowship is renewed. Things are made right. And here's the thing. Look, you don't have to wait until Sunday morning to come to church to make things right with God, to confess and to repent of your sin. You can do it as soon as it happens. At the moment that, you're, that, that you sin and you know that you've sinned, you just repent and you confess it. I mean, think about this for a moment. In light of Everything that Jesus has accomplished, why would we ever want to be out of fellowship with God for even just a moment? Why would we continue to walk in sin when we know that our sins grieve the very heart of God, when we know that it causes us to be out of fellowship with God, when we know that there are consequences for sinful choices? Look, God is a living father who, or a loving father who disciplines those he loves. Everything he does is for our good and for his glory. And the great thing is we don't have to live out of fellowship with God. If we truly know Jesus as Savior, we don't have to worry whether or not we're in or we're out because Jesus said it is finished. 
Right? Salvation and heaven are secure for believers once and for all. We have been acquitted completely and forever. The job has been done. We talked a moment ago about how an Old Testament priest was on, when he was on duty in the temple, he would never sit down because it symbolized that the work was never done. I want you to listen to what Hebrews chapter 10 verse 12 says. But when this priest, being Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, listen to this, he sat down at the right hand of God. Now what does that mean? Verse 14, it says, because by a single offering he has made perfect for all time those who are being sanctified. This means that the work is finished. means that the priest has sat down. Nothing can be added to it. So I want you to think about your sins for a moment. I want you to think about your sin. For, 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 for you, maybe you just want to write it down, right? Maybe just write it down in your connection guide. Think about it and just write over top of it paid in full. Some of you in this room, maybe you're in here this morning and you've had an abortion. And maybe you're a woman and you struggle with the guilt of that. Or maybe you're a man and you were part of that whole situation. Can I tell you something this morning? When Jesus said, Tetaleste, paid in full. Some of you in this room, you're struggling with lust this morning. Maybe you're struggling with, with, with pornography, Tetaleste, paid in full. Some of you, you're struggling with lying. You're struggling with cheating, paid in full. Some of you have been through a terrible divorce and, and you just you know, live in your mind with the consequences and you feel like a failure. Can I tell you something this morning paid in full? Some of you in this room, you've been through an adulterous situation and you're reminded constantly over and over again about the choices you made and you believe that somehow or another God will never fully let you off the hook for that paid in full. Some of you this morning, you have a criminal background in here and you look at yourself and you think, you know what, I'm a failure. I made this choice or that choice. I, can I tell you something this morning? Paid in full. Some of you are just selfish. We're prideful. We have prideful behavior. Paid in full. Some of us are out of fellowship with God. We don't, we don't love him with our whole heart. We don't love him with our whole soul and our whole mind. Paid in full. Look, the sin of unbelief and rejecting Jesus, when you repent of that sin and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you put your faith and your trust in him alone to get you to heaven, you can take a big stamp and you can put it across your past, present, and future sins paid in full. I want you to think for a moment how many religions, how many denominations, how many belief systems try to add to the finished work of Jesus Christ that somehow or another there is more to be done. Listen, the only way to heaven is through Jesus and Jesus alone. The way to receive salvation and forgiveness of sins is through Jesus alone. We so desperately want to add to grace because grace is so difficult for us to get our minds around. We think it just can't be that easy. Listen, the reason that the grace is so amazing, the reason that it's so wondrous is because we can't get our minds around it. That's what makes this moment at the cross when Jesus said it is finished. That's what makes this moment just so beyond wonderful because it was paid, it was done. Finally, the last thing we see is that the payment for sin was actually accepted. When Jesus Christ tetaleste, something miraculous happened. Look at Matthew chapter 27, verse 51. It says, at that moment, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. It says, the earth quaked and the rocks were split. Now, I want you to understand something about the temple for just a moment, okay? Because if you don't, you just need to understand this. There's this curtain that hung in the temple, right? This curtain was thick. It was made of woven fabric. It was 60 feet high, 30 feet long. It was a huge curtain, 
And behind this curtain was what was called the most holy place in the temple. It was called the, the Holy of Holies. And a priest was only allowed to go back beyond that curtain once a year during the Day of Atonement, which we just talked about a few minutes ago. And this curtain is what separated the, the holy place in the temple. Because there was a holy place in the temple, and then there was the most holy place in the temple. And the curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies at this moment was gone. It was torn in two. Now, it wasn't just a small tear. Right? You need to understand. I mean, it was torn from top to bottom. And you say, well, why is that so significant? Because it means that God accepted the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins. See, payment was made, and as a result of that, we now have full access into the presence of God. It means that we don't have to sit down with a priest. You don't have to schedule an appointment with me to confess your sins. See, the barrier of our, the barrier of our sin that used to be there is now gone once and for all. Hebrews says that we can now draw close to the throne room of God, that we can walk into God's presence, we can walk into the Holy of Holies, and we can make our requests known. We can confess our sins. We can have deep, intimate fellowship with the God of the universe. I want you to imagine again, just standing at the cross at that moment. I want you to imagine all that was going on. I mean, the Bible tells us that the sky went completely black. An earthquake took place at this moment. I mean, rocks are just splitting in half. John goes on to tell us that tombs were opening up, bodies were coming up out of the grave. I mean, dead people were walking around presenting themselves to people in Jerusalem. Think about that for a moment. There is some some craziness that is going on here. And at this very moment, John tells us that a Roman centurion, a Roman guard, after being part of the the beating and and watching Jesus and this whole thing, and we don't know how much of this this guard was involved in, but he looks up at Jesus, and as he's experiencing all that's going on, he looks up at Jesus and he says, truly, this was the Son of God. It was truly finished. So what does that mean for us today? Just very simple. It is finished. Jesus paid for sin in full. Nothing can be added. As a matter of fact, if we, if we try to add to it by our rituals and our good works and, and trying harder and feeling somehow or another that we have to earn it, what we're actually doing is we're subtracting from it. Erwin Litzer says to add to Jesus' gift is to destroy it altogether. God does not want our worthiness, but he wants our willingness to accept Christ's payment on our behalf. I don't know if any of you have ever seen the movie Private Ryan, but if you have, you know that there's this this moment in the movie that I think is just a great example of what so many people try to, to do to gain salvation and to gain forgiveness. In the movie, Tom Hanks plays a guy by the name of Captain John Miller, and he's been commissioned, he and his team, to, to go after a soldier in the midst of the war, and his name is Private James Ryan. Two of his brothers have already died in the war. They've been killed, and so uh, the, the, the top brass, they kind of want to take action They want to pull Private Ryan out of the war. They want to send him home, send him back to his mother. And so Tom Hanks and his men eventually rescue him, but Tom Hanks' character dies in the process. And there's this moment in the movie where Tom Hanks looks at Matt Damon, who is is playing Private James Ryan, and he says to him in these words, he says, earn it. And in the final scene of this movie, we see this family walking through this cemetery, which we believe is off the shores of, of Normandy. And this older man, decades later, now is walking very solemnly through this cemetery. And he comes upon this grave. And 
and, and he's, he comes upon this grave where Captain John Miller has, has, has laid his life down and he's been, been, been buried there. And Ryan collapses in tears on this grave, the grave of this man who saves him. And he's tormented at this moment by the fact that he has not done enough in his life to earn this type of sacrifice. And some of you this morning, you feel that way right now. You feel that somehow or another, you have to earn it. Well, look, you've got to listen to me this morning. You could never do enough to earn God's gift of forgiveness. Look, we could never earn reconciliation. We could never earn new life. We could never earn eternal life. It's already been done for us. It was accomplished on the cross by Jesus Christ when Jesus said it is finished. The offering for sin was made once and for all. See, Jesus did in six hours what no human being could do in all of eternity. Sin was paid in full. It was accomplished. And it was enough. It was enough at that very moment. And you say, so what do I do with this? Right, what do I do with this this gift, this free gift that has been given to me, that's been offering to me at this very moment. Listen, here's what you do. You receive it by faith. You're thinking to yourself, no, you know, I, I mean, there's something else I've got to do. Look, you receive it by faith. You might be saying this morning, you know what, I'm not worthy of a gift like that. That's exactly right. That's why it's called grace. And some of you in this very moment, my prayer is that at this moment, this has been made so clear to you this morning that you're saying, I want this. Right? I can't earn it, but you know what? I want this past, present sins paid in full. You say, what do I do with this? You just receive it by faith. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. Father, there are some in this room today that have never received your free gift of salvation for them. God, they've come in here today and when they walked into these doors, Father, they came in separated from you. But they've also come in, God, and they've heard your word today. And there's this tugging on their heart. If that's you this morning, listen, don't ignore that. That is the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And you say, you know what, I I want this. I know I don't deserve it, but I want this. I want this gift of salvation that God is offering freely to me right now, but I I just don't know what to do. Look, if you're here this morning, that is you. We want to give you the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You just pray something like this. Just say, God, I come before you. And God, I know after listening today that your word tells me that the, the penalty of sin is death. God, I realize that I'm a sinner and God, there's nothing good in me. That God, I cannot earn my way to salvation. I cannot work hard enough. I cannot be good enough, God. I cannot do enough rituals. I can't go to church enough. The only way by receiving salvation is by, by putting my faith and my trust in Jesus. And so I come now and I confess my sins. I repent of my sin. I believe that Jesus came to do for me something I could never do on my own, even on my very best day. I'm not righteous enough, not good enough, but Jesus was. And Jesus went as a substitute for me to that cross. And Jesus experienced the scourgings and the beatings and the nails in his wrists and his feet for me 
to do for me what I could never do on my own. And at this very moment, I place all of my faith and all of my trust in Jesus Christ alone to be my Lord and to be my Savior. Look, with all eyes closed and all heads bowed, look, if you just prayed that prayer with us, I'd ask you to take a connection card. Check off today. I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Take that back with you to the Connection Center after service because we want to come alongside of you. We want to we walk you through the next steps. We want to celebrate with you of the greatest decision that you've ever made for the rest of us. God, I pray that as we leave today that we rest in the fact that it is finished. That Jesus, nothing else has to be added to what you've already done on the cross. No matter what Satan may lie to us, no matter what he may say to us, God, that, that it was not enough, that we're, we're too bad, we're not good enough, God, when you said it is finished, it was finished. So let us rest in that today, Father, as we leave this place. God, we love you. God, we lift all of this up to you for your honor and for your glory, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. And look, if you're here today and you need prayer for any reason, our prayer team is going to be coming forward. They're going to be on the sides up front up here. They're here to pray with you and for you. If there's anything that you need, maybe it's a relational issue, maybe it's a financial issue, a spiritual issue. Maybe you've just accepted Christ and you just want some prayer for that. They're going to be here up the sides as the worship team closes us out this morning.